Welcome to Archery Country Podcast. Welcome back to Archery Country Podcast. This is Wade Grinegar, your host, as we are coming to you, rocking and rolling, waiting on spring to show up. Finally, I'm sitting directly across from a main man, Jack Opatz, the gelled-haired, slick, cool cat of Rogers. Been with the company a long time. He's been on a couple of podcasts with us. And today is the introduction of turkey hunting archery style 101-4. This is the fourth installment of a turkey hunting podcast that we've had. How you doing, Jack? Good. Good. Glad to have you here. And what we did is we simplified this podcast. Usually we have a panel. Um, we've really had a lot with the Rogers guys. We're going to branch back out. Everything's kind of calm down and we're going to get the St. Cloud dudes on and also Brainerd with some podcasts that are specific to those guys. If you've listened to some of our earlier episodes, we had Troy and Buck and John on a bunch. Also Adam Kramer last year on a bunch of turkey podcasts of kind of like what to do if you're starting turkey hunting. They kind of used Adam as a guinea pig last year, but we're going to go way past that. We're going to dive into not be a little cocky here, but the veterans of the <laughs> event, so to speak. And we, we, I wasn't even going to do a turkey podcast for 2023 because we've kind of butchered it and we've like soaked it for everything it is. But then we had a bunch of requests in the last two weeks. If I said we had 10, we had 20 guys and gals asking you, like, when's your turkey hunting podcast? When's your turkey podcast? We had Matt Dykes on a year ago, a overload of knowledge. One of the baddest dudes when it comes to killing turkeys he's got his world slam his grand slam multiple times archery shoots 20 23 birds a year um we had him on and it was really really good and we kind of we're going to dive in a different direction we're going to just tell you what we do why we do it what we use equipment like a a lot of stuff is going to be very in depth on why we do what we do we're not here to sell you something but we're going to end up selling you something because what you have probably isn't exactly right. And again, we have the knowledge, we have the birds every year and that's what we're going to roll with. So the introduction, we kind of hit up equipment, Jack, we might as well just start. Just tell us not only what you have set up. I know what you have, but they don't tell us why you run what you run, why you don't switch what you switch, why you switch when you do switch basically right now just bow release arrows broadheads that then i'll tell mine then we'll get on to the equipment as far as the blinds we use the calls we use some of the decoys and then we're going to talk about practice and we're going to talk about shot placement and then set up for opening day slash versus end of may that kind of deal right so to start i shoot a matthews phase 433 um i'm gonna bring that to 60 pounds just because I do not want to just blow right through that bird. That Again, I'm going to run a V-Force Elite 350, a really light arrow setup with a Grim Reaper Whitetail Special head. The reason behind that V-Force Elite 350, you know, that's not my deer hunting arrow, but that arrow is not going to just blow through the bird. You don't want to just shoot right through that turkey. If anything, I'd like that arrow to be in the bird. So that's why i like to run light and that's a standard diameter for those of you who are listening that's a two four five so everything that we grew up for those of us that started with carbon arrows after the aluminum trend <clears throat> some people say it's a 1960 force but it's a two four five id inside diameter 
Correct. Yep. This day and age, we consider it a fat shaft for hunting. Um, kind of right there in the middle. But again, as you're explaining, you don't need the speed. You don't need the kinetic energy. You don't need the uh, blow through small diameter, less friction. Right. So that's the basis of the arrow. What do you got for fletchings on that? Um, I'm going to be running just the A26 hybrid. Same as like uh, what I run for a whitetail. I don't really go crazy with that by any means. That's a three fletch? A three fletch, yeah. Gotcha. All right, explain a little bit more in detail on the broadhead. So the broadhead is going to be made by Grim Reaper. It's a 100 grain whitetail special. It's a big head with big three blade cut. Um, the reason I run that huge head, again, is because I actually want to lose kinetic energy. Mm-hmm. You want the broadhead to kind of rob <clears throat> that, that pass-through functionality of it. And what he, the broadhead that he's speaking of is kind of is a, considered over the top. So the blades are set. You have the point of the broadhead, which is a chisel tip. And then all of a sudden you hit the blades. Well, that's the end of the blade, and it has to fold all the way over the top of the ferrule. And then slam backwards Correct. before the cutting is. So your your broadhead's actually in an inch and a half, two inches in the point when the blades are fully deployed. Um, so continue. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah. Do you run long stabilizers when you're turkey hunting? Is it short? Um, like that, I don't really change up much. Um, I you know I'm I got enough room in the blind where I just run a Matthews, um, 10 inch out the front yep. and then eight out the back. So explain a little bit on your site. What are we running for your optical viewing pleasure? I guess you could say, what are you looking through? Uh, for the site, I'm running a black gold dual track. So how I'm going to have that set up is top pin 20 and then the second pin is going to be 30. So it's a two pin slider. You could say, right. um, and that's what I'm going to run. Just I'm going to have 20 and 30. I don't plan on shooting past 30 yards. I mean, I put my decoys at 7 yards, honestly. Right. So so you're not really planning on using the driver portion of your site? No. Uh, you said the word blind. 90% of us actually hunt out of a blind. Uh, morning hunt, afternoon, evening, you know, especially for archery. Are you running a bigger peep, smaller peep? Does it matter? I... Again, I don't switch that up. Um, I just run a quarter-inch peep. In that case, you know, if you are running a 316s to a quarter and a blind, it does, you know, that light intake is a difference. But I don't switch switch up anything as far as a peep goes. Right. So what we're going to do with this podcast is in the link bio below, uh, Desiree, who's our social media slash kind of does everything for us, um, internet, website, I mean, she just, she's awesome. But anyways, she's going to, I have a video already made with my turkey set up for this season. Jack is going to be recording a video today. That's basically like a three minute video, giving you a visual description of what we're talking about at the moment. And the reason that is because a lot of people have questions and a lot of people just like to know and then understand why we do what we do. Uh, you brought up the point you're going to turn it down to 60 pounds on the Matthews. You have that ability without touching the limbs. You can switch out the mod. Correct. Yeah. Um, and again, you're doing that just so that you can draw when it's, you know, in a sitting position, kneeling position. You can draw super easy without being seen. Granted, you're going to be blacked out in the blind. Uh, you actually had your, <clears throat> excuse me, hunt on video last year. Yep. 
and we got to see all the dynamics of why, when, where, and how it all worked. Last season was pretty tough um, for a lot of people. If you didn't hammer them on opening day, it got pretty tough. Yeah. <clears throat> Granted, we have weather. This year, I hope the snow is going to be gone. I don't know. We can cross our fingers. We got like eight days before it's 60 degrees. But down in our neck of the woods, like down here in Rogers, we're, we've, we've gotten a, a rid of a lot more snow than you guys in your area. Yep, yeah. And then our home farm up in Alexandria is, is still looks like white Christmas yeah. for everywhere. So mm-hmm. we'll see. <clears throat> the equipment that I'm going to run, um, I forgot to ask, you're going a couple states? Are you uh, going to Missouri? I'm, I don't know. I, I'm going to try and make it down to Missouri. Um, but it wouldn't be till later. Later, mainly I'm gonna focus on uh, Minnesota right away. Gotcha. First week you'll be in your yep the the property. <laughs> yeah, the property I got to go to. Yep. Okay. Yep. We'll talk about that hunt here in just a little bit. We ran out of time, but uh, it was phenomenal. Jack's 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 got some cool spots for turkeys. Let's just say that <clears throat> one of them right behind the house, <laughs> which we could have went after that bird too. But anyways, um. Virtually a, a very similar setup that I'm going to be running, and I've ran it for a long time. Uh, I go to a shorter axle axle bow when it comes to turkey hunting in the spring. I do not like to shoot a shorter axle axle bow. I have accuracy issues, anchoring issues. Uh, I'm, I'm Jack and I are almost duplicate. We can shoot the same. We're 29 to 29 and a half, depending on which bow that we're shooting. <clears throat> I have a phase four 29. It's blacked out this year. And again, I, I'm running the bridge lock stabilizer. So if I'm single in the blind, I can run them out to 12 inch or 11 and a half, whatever it may be. Uh, if I need, if I'm in tight quarters or something happens, I can slide that front bridge lock in. You'll see this in the video. I, uh, I run just a super, I try to keep my turkey hunting rig super light. And here's the reason. is isn't because I'm dry, I'm packing up into the mountains 17 miles. I'm not living out there forever. It's because when I walk to the blind, I got so much shit with me. <clears throat> Usually I have two or three decoys. Yeah. Usually I have a turkey vest with calls. Usually I have some kind of chair, right? Like I don't prepare good enough to have this all set in the blind because I don't know where I'm going to be on that particular morning or afternoon. And I don't have enough money to occupy every blind with all the chairs and all the decoys and everything else. So like, I just want something super light. So I have have stabilizers. I have, I'm running a black gold mountain light. It's a custom three pin, but it's probably one of the lightest sites that we have next to like a Flint (laughs) or granite you know um it it works well i'm not a huge fan of having my pins come in from the side but i have three of them it'll be 20 and 30 and 40 and this is a big question that we have a lot of people ask this well what do we do you know we always preach about setting your decoys at 10 yards right what happens if the tom is on the inside of the decoys and he's at 6.5 the what i set up and the bows that i shoot i'm usually a half a thumbnail high at seven or eight yards than I am at 20. So I just aim right on, right? You know, just pray and squeeze. And can't say that I execute shot cleanly every time, but it does, you know, usually it works out. Right. I mix, uh, right now I can't, I can't verify it. When you watch the video, I have the new Dead Ringer, uh, Super Freak Broadhead. Right now it's on my bow. Sighted in, ready to go. That is a, like two and three quarter inch cut two blade but as of this weekend 
I went home and I looked and I have brand new packages, a package of mini mags. And I've shot seven birds with a mini mag since the introduction of those. There's a new one out, but like there is a some thing as confidence and there's four, it's four blades. It's a smaller cutting broadhead. You've used them for deer. You shot, I don't know if you shot, you've shot turkeys with them. I have not. Nope. Not turkeys. I've taken three or four deer, though. But <clears throat> they fly phenomenal. I I don't know. I, I think I'm going to try to run the Super Freaks. They work. That's a broadhead that I probably would never shoot at a, a whitetail, ever. Actually, you can in the state of Minnesota, but for turkey hunting, you can. Regulations. Check that. If you're going to Sodak or North Dakota, Iowa, Missouri, just check and see what your regulations are on that. <clears throat> the aerial profile, I actually went lighter than I ever have. I have a rip xv which is extreme velocity so it's a 204 diameter five millimeter if you're keeping track of that with a humongous helical four fletch with a wrap of course pink is my superstition color so i got that you you're the same yeah um it um that arrow is 380 grains total build with 100 grain and a 16 grain insert so i don't care about foc uh, it's booking at 60 pounds, 29 inch draw. I'm shooting 293 feet per second. Like that's 60 pounds legit. Yeah. That's screaming. I don't have a kisser on. I don't have a nose button on. I have a peep and, and I'm actually opposite of almost everybody. I'm a firm believer. The smaller the peep, the more accurate. And the first thing someone's going to say to me is, well, then you can't, you can't find your peep in the dark. Well, you can if you anchor in the same spot. Your pupil will dilate the way it needs to dilate. When I look through my peep, rather it be my sight set at stationary at 20 or if I have it at 80 yards, I can find my white sight ring. And the reason I run white, <clears throat> green gets a little bit of a halo. It's super bright, bright sunlight. And then in the mornings, I have a hard time finding that fluorescent green. But white is like, it's the only thing that's white in the blind. My bow is not, nothing is, it's just, there's a white ring. So if I can anchor the same, my release is the same, my string is on my end of my nose the same, cross my lip the same. When I find that peep, boom, boop, there's a white ring. Then I can take my sight light, turn it on, or find my top. My top pin is 19 thousandths. My bottom two are 10 thousandths. Reason for that is <clears throat> getting older. I like to see what I like to see. And a 19 shows up most of the time without a light during legal hunting. People say legal hunting. If you're a gun hunter, you can shoot about 10 to 15 minutes before weekend in a blind. The blind doesn't light up because we have everything blacked out. Uh, so it is what it is, right? You know, it, could you take a shot two minutes after legal if you had to, you could. That's why we have sight light. Right. Um, I've said the sight light now about seven times in the last 13 sentences. You probably want to invest in a sight light. Yeah. We have two. Black Gold makes one specifically for Black Gold sights. Otherwise, screw on a Viper. Um, sight light, it's rechargeable. Lithium battery stays lit for four hours on max. It's got a three-stage push button. Super easy. It's got adapters for every sight ever made, yeah. except for HHA. Yep. Yeah, that Viper's legit. Actually, that's what I run on all mine. Yeah, I don't know if I see it on yours right now. You're gonna, though. I see the sight bracket, or light bracket. Yeah, yep. Okay. 
So that's the basics of our bows. Um, arrows. I shoot, depends on the day, a hinge or a index style. I don't shoot a thumb button. Ugh, I hate to even say this. I shoot a hinge if I feel like I'm going to maybe be flustered. It slows me down. Even if I dump a hinge, it's, it's okay. But it, it slows me down to make a shot execution. Uh, finger, I actually used one this year out in Washington on that muley hunt just because spot and stock. I didn't want it in my bino harness. But right now that bow is set up with a hinge, and that's probably what I'll use. Okay. Maybe. We'll see. So, so far, uh, the, the bows, <clears throat> we got it taken care of. Um, equipment, other equipment that you use. Uh, your Sitka. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, I really, really like the Sitka Equinox Guard stuff. Um, I run the pants and that lightweight hoodie. That's So, if you don't know what that is, basically, what the, the Equinox Guard is is like a no bug contact that's that's the selling point of it yeah yep. it's yep. pre-treated with permethrin yep and then it also has a material so like the pants that he's talking about has built-in gaiters you put them underneath your socks pull your socks over the built-in gaiter yep and then your pants will go down and what we're trying to do is stop you can go back and listen to our sitka podcast um, that we introduction of this stuff last year and they really, really go through it in detail. <clears throat> Stopping any bug whatsoever, be chiggers or ticks. Mosquitoes. I don't know. For, yeah. Mosquitoes, especially mosquitoes. The, the hoodie that he's talking about is I want to compare it to like an Under Armour spandex. Yeah. But believe it or not, a mosquito or a tick can still get through that like bite stop or stop bite stop technology or however they say it. Um, it's just a really, really good setup. Now, the only situation that you run in is opening day. It might be chilly, <laughs> yeah. but that will probably be your base layer or your right. underneath. And then right. if you throw on, you know, even if you went out with your fanatic or stratus bibs on or pants or something, you got to be warm because when you're archery hunting, most of us are not spot and stock. Most of us get out to the blind in the dark, sitting the, you're sitting there for an hour, half hour, even more than that if it doesn't happen right away, or birds go down, fly down somewhere else, and come back to you. It's like deer hunting. Mm-hmm. You got to dress for the situation. Right. But uh, do you wear you wear rubber boots, or do you wear just standard crispy I, boots? I just wear uh, rubber, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Depends on where I'm going. If it's real wet, you know, obviously I'll have the, the a real true spring in Minnesota. The grass is so freaking wet that you're going to yeah. get soaked getting out yeah. to it. So usually it's a pair of knee high lacrosse. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, if it's colder, you go to the 800s or 1600s if you need to, but any rubber boot will work really well. Um, are you a fan of black? Yeah. Do you black out? I black out. Yep. So, is that I yeah, so I throw a Sitka Traverse hoodie. Um, the cold weather hoodie, because usually like you said, you know, it's cooler out. That'll be over everything mm-hmm. that I'm wearing. And then I'll actually over my timberline pant, sometimes I'll wear black sweatpants, but yeah. That you're sitting. You're below the you're below the blind, <clears throat> yeah. So usually when we'll talk about that when we put our blinds we'll talk about our blinds, but 
we both use the Zenex product. Um, we got a new blind that we might try this year. It's been released, but we haven't got in our hands yet. But anyways, um, <clears throat> the way that we're running, we have our shooting position, usually about 180 to 140 to 180 degrees. We have the web open. We're not shooting through mesh. But when you look into the blind, we have everything blacked out. So if you go out there in your subalpine camo, not that they won't see you, but it's a better chance that they will if you move. Or So birds, turkeys in particular, like the human eye, and don't quote me on this, I'm going off of what I've been taught, like we have a color spectrum of five. Okay, so we have, you look on the rainbow chart, your reds, your blues, your orange, your green, turkeys actually can see seven color contrast all the way through ultraviolet into that so when they see colors their their vision their color contrast and their vision that is solely what's protecting them besides their ears they can see color in depth if you were to take a pair of Swarovski or vortex high definition binocular and put it up to your eye that's what a turkey can see so three-dimensional objects, we all see in 3D, right? I can see the doorway, I can see the snowbank, I can see the tree behind it. But a turkey can see that times 20. They can see definition breakdown, color contrast pattern. There's seven different color spectrums that they see through their eye. And they can almost see 300 degrees around them because their eyes are not fixated on the front, it's on the side. When their beak comes up and then it's set into their skull, and if you ever look at a turkey eye, it's big. It's for proportionally put to their head. Their turkey, the turkey's eye is huge. So if you think you're going to walk out there wearing <clears throat> anything but dark in a blind, your variable chance of things going wrong increases dramatically. Do you wear face makeup? Yeah. Yep. I black my face out too. Gotcha. So I, I, I don't wear anything. When it comes to deer hunting, usually I'm elevated, yep. and then I have a, a beard that's usually grown in a little bit more than this, but I have big old Santa Claus rosy red cheeks. That's three finger swipes of black makeup, and then my nose, you know, is the size of this coffee cup, so I got to, like, take the sheen away from that. You know, right. a little bit of light comes in the front door, take that, that, that glare, that shimmer away from it. <clears throat> yeah, the, and about wearing black, even wearing black and you were talking how good a turkey site is uh <coughs> last year there's an afternoon where you know i was like oh, i'm gonna go run out quick and do an evening sit and i got out there and got everything the way i wanted it and totally forgot that i cracked the back you know the back window yep not the whole thing like the the mesh was still there so but, I, see but there was light yeah there was light <coughs> coming through the blind mm -hmm. yeah and i it was actually a pretty good sit, but they ended up busting me like 80 yards. Right. Because they can just see that, you know, if you got light coming through the blind, even though you're wearing black, they yep. can, I mean, it is insane, their eyesight. So the problem with, with us, we're so enthusiastic and passionate about this that we this podcast go on for hours, right? Like we could paint out so many different situations. So if we generalize in some stuff, we do apologize. You can always call a shop or stop in and talk to us. <clears throat> We've had a pretty good increase of turkey hunters starting to get the itch, uh, starting to come in. Let's talk a little bit about decoys because it's going to be so short that we'll talk for like two minutes on decoys and we'll forget about them. 
And then I want to talk about calling and what to do and what not to do. And then we'll talk about practice and shot placement and then we'll wrap it up. Okay. Yep. So decoys. Um, if you rewind back and you listen to all of our podcasts, the very first podcast that we actually released with Archery Country, I uh, was talking to John uh, Cranbrink in St. Cloud. Yeah. yeah, he's one of the main guys, been there forever. Him and Buck are the two <clears throat> managers of the store. And John hit me with something on the very first podcast, and he said, yeah, usually I have seven decoys, nine, you know, early season. And, it, like, I sat back in my stool, and I went, what in the hell? <laughs> Are you doing that? But it works for him. He's yeah. very successful turkey. Very. What he's doing with him and his his dudes that he hunts with on them, those couple of properties that he has, is he is a firm believer in matching the surroundings, not camouflage, not trees, all that, but matching what the birds are doing. Usually, he says, in the first week or two, they're grouped up. So you'll have five or six hens and two or three strutters, Right. So if you add that up, we're talking eight to 10 decoys. If you wanted to match that, I don't particularly do that, but I'll explain why he has a very good reasoning for it. Um, there's two or three guys in weight park that I would talk to, uh, John and Brandon and Adam about Turkey on Troy is also very successful on that. And some of the younger guys are very good. Jason and Alex are really hardcore turkey hunters up in Brainerd, and they can explain every one of us. Where I'm going with this is if you sat down and talked to every one of us individually, we all do it differently. I am a believer in not overdoing it. Like, I'm not matching what the birds are doing. I'm trying to pluck birds away from the main group. Now, if you're hunting public land, things can get a little bit different. Like maybe more is better if you're trying to get birds that were spooked or birds that aren't hunted a lot. You know, obviously, yes, on public land, first morning is going to be your best bet. But later in the year, it's going to be just as good if you do it properly. Like study your animals. Turkeys are so stupid, they're smart. Yep. They're a creature of habit. You mess up one spot, you booger up one spot, probably not going to come back to it unless it's a different tom. Mm-hmm. You believe in that? Yeah, I do. Um, let, so what are you doing real briefly on your decoys? What is your go-to? I know that you switch it up throughout the year, but what it, like? What are you doing on the first morning? First morning, um, depending upon, you know, weather, because like you said, you know, with all this snow, um, if birds are grouped up, you know, I... I like, I love to run a strutter. I really do. But sometimes I just have to stop myself because opening morning, you know, let's just say it's a high of, well, it's Minnesota. It could be, you know, high at 28. Yep. Cloudy, windy, <clears throat> yep. you know, what bird is going to want to come into a strutter? That's just maybe, but you know, that's it. it's nothing like a 40 degree sun coming up. You know, that I, I believe that weather Definitely gets them hot. Yep. So I would say a uh, quarter strut Jake with three hens. Yep. That's what I would do. So I have always on call, like my 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 lineup, let's say we're playing baseball, right? <clears throat> my leadoff hitter is a half strut Jake or a three-quarter strut Drake. We run Avion X. I love them because I can deflate them. I can carry three or four at a time. I can blow them up. I can position them. As long as they don't get frost on them, they're always a nice glisten. 
they match a turkey's display from 10 to 100 yards like they can they visually they're the right size they're the right look they're the right definition yes hdr or lcd doesn't matter to me one looks better to us you know but again turkeys are all about detail every hen looks pretty much the same every gobbler looks pretty much the same every jake pretty much looks the same male turkeys can change the color of their head depending on what their temperament is what they're doing you know if it's a big white softball that you looked they're content and they're showing off and they want to impress the ladies they got their good friday night gig on right yep if they're red blood red they're either one of two things scared out of their bejesus or pissed you, it, they can and they can change it in a matter of a minute yeah. right it's all blood flow that runs up in there Anyways, three-quarter step Jake, and this is what I'm portraying to my audience. This is what I'm trying to grasp, right? I'm, <clears throat> I have gobblers on the roost. Hopefully, they can see my decoys. But if not, I, when they're on the ground, they can see it. Usually in Minnesota, the last 15 to 20 years that I've noticed, the very first morning, I'll have two or three gobblers on the roost together, 10 to 15 hens on the roost together within four or five trees of each other, right? Them hens will be the first ones to pitch down. And gobblers will sit up there, and, and if it's a beautiful blue bird, crisp, calm, like fishing morning, I call it, yep. then birds are going to gobble their beaks off. Yep. And they're going to sit there and wait and wait and wait. They rely on visual and hearing. So my philosophy is I have most of the time two hens, a feeding and an upright hen, Sometimes I'll introduce a third hen. I'm not, I'm not talking breeding season, the first opening day. From Wednesday till Sunday, like I, I don't bring out my breeder hen and I don't bring out my starter right away unless I have to. But what I'm imitating is these birds have pitched down off the roost. They're doing their thing. Toms are together. Toms are, you know, oh yeah, bowing up to each other a little bit. A hen clucks. And all of a sudden, there's three three strutters with her. Like, do 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 I'm doing my thing. What I'm trying to imitate is one of those jakes or one of those strutters has separated and found a couple hens off by theirself, and he's the first bachelor to visit with them. That's going to piss off a dominant tom or another tom or the group. Yeah, absolutely. The big three, yep. you know, they're going to say, hey, Who's that deal weed over there with them? I don't remember them going up there on the ridge. Usually they'll come in. Yep. Or you'll pull a single tom. You know, he doesn't like to be with the big group. And is it, can it happen right away? Absolutely. Can it happen three hours later? Absolutely. Kind of got to read your surroundings. Yep. But decoys, I've seen guys use a chicken looking whatever jake that big long neck jake funky chicken, funky chicken. Primos, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> i've seen guys use a flambeau fleet farm special i've seen guys use a uh we used to carry them they're really expensive dave smith yep yep seen them all i've seen dead birds on all of them i've seen guys use robotic ones uh, on a remote control that spins <laughs> i've seen real tail fans i've seen real mounted toms yep you know it, do whatever you want. Really? Decoys are decoys, right? Imitate what you want to portray to get them in. Let's talk about calling. One of the most overlooked aspects of turkey hunting. Everybody gets this wild goose 
I'm going to stop in at Archery Country and I'm going to get rather we be Woodhaven or Phelps. We carry Phelps calls. Awesome, awesome call diaphragm. And they get excited. They watch a couple YouTube videos. They talk to us in the shop. And from now until April 13th, they are squawking and squawking and squawking. And hopefully they're doing it right. <clears throat> they get out in the blind and they'll, they'll hear that first hen cluck or fly, fly down cackle. And they will not shut the volume off until it's either done or they're busted. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, I've made so many mistakes calling less is more absolutely rewind 10 seconds on your phone right now and listen to this again less is more very few times will you have a hen that will call for minutes upon minutes remember my video from missouri last year when i made that hen mad yeah she was a boss hen right she was the boss hen that was her farm. <clears throat> she come in and she messed around with the decoys for, because I'd called her in. And then I shut up. And then she was mad. And she went off 15, 20 yards. And I mean, cut like you wouldn't believe. I got video on it. You can check out Instagram or, or uh, Archery Country, I think, had the reel. She went on forever and loud and loud. If there was a Tom anywhere in, within the county, probably would have got his attention. Like, I didn't have yeah. to call, right? Right. But you cannot overcall. If you do, you've ruined your chances immediately. Yeah, ex especially in my opinion, I, you know, and I'm guilty of it too growing up, but everybody loves to sit there, you know, after that first bird rattles off, you know, at quarter to six, six o'clock, whatever it might be, and you love to talk to them in the roost, and you just, you know, they fire off, and then you call. They fire off, and you keep calling. And that is an absolute don't do <clears throat> because yep. no, they, they know as soon, I mean, you can do and what I have switched to to start doing is, you know, I'll do the fly down cackle, a couple clucks and that's it. And they might, you know, they might gobble and gobble waiting for a response, but then when they fly down and they haven't heard anything in a while, they know where that sound was coming from. They're going to, more than likely, they're going to come check it out. As where if you just continuously call, they know you're there and they're like, eh, we'll, we'll go see what's around there later. Yep. You know what I mean? I shot my first bird in 2000, 2000 in Minnesota, 2001, maybe. I don't remember. My brother and I, afternoon, <clears throat> them birds had never heard a human call. I know this for a fact. Nobody's hunted that farm. No, but none of the neighbors did that. I, you know, I'm 99% sure we had a box call and a pot and a pick slate call. We did the same thing. We, back in the day, we didn't have YouTube videos. We read the directions on that. We had some old VHSs that we popped in and we listened to the jury boys and, you know, um, night and hail. And we kind of tried to imitate with that. It was like 25 minutes and we had two strutters come in and Jake's and hens and the whole group came to us like, Oh my God, sounded horrible. But when we seen them, we were so dumb that we shut up and then the decoys did their job, right? Yep. Like that, that, if we would have just took that and ran with it, the rest of our career, now don't get me wrong. We've been very successful, 
but you have to learn when to call and when not to. Um, Jack just said fly down cackle. So again, what he's doing is he's painting a picture. He knows where the birds are roosted. If you don't, again, you're, you're decreasing your chances. If you don't know what you're hunting, you're, you're going by chance. Can it work? Absolutely. Especially on untouched farms or untouched public ground, right? But knowing the roost is kind of the key. It's not setting up underneath the roost, setting 100 to 200 yards off the roost, making the birds come to you, going to a destination field that they might be in the morning, right, where the hens are still feeding. They're putting on their feed bag because we're not into the season yet of hand up or the breeding phase quite yet. You know, the, the ground temperature, when we talk about ground temperature above 56 to 65 degrees, for hens to successfully lay, if they lose a batch of eggs, um, they will re. If it's early enough in the season, they will relay. And this is a big, big thing that people maybe not understand. When a hen lays, she can a brood of eggs or a batch of eggs. She can lay anywhere from seven to twenty. Right. Every one of those eggs that gets laid has to be fertilized. That means that the gobbler doesn't breed her one time. That's where we get into the hand up. That gobbler will know where that hen is, when she's going to go and lay, where his window is. You know, picture this like if you're with a group and you go out on a Friday night, like you can figure out the scenario, right, without getting too vulgar. Like the first from 6 to 8 o'clock is usually like wine and dine and eat and hang out. Then you're going to party. And then after the party, you're going to hang out, right? right. Gobbler's got that. Just reverse it. Right away in the morning, them hens are going to fly down. They're hungry. They've been on the roost for 12 hours, 10 to 12 hours. They're going to start picking. They're going to start doing their dominance. And then they're going to start breaking a free. And that's when your gobblers are going to be in their breeding stage, right? This isn't going to happen the first day of, of Minnesota season or Iowa season. Or maybe Missouri, we're getting closer because it's warmer. The further south you get, the warmer it is. Right now, they're killing birds in north and south Florida. And seasons are starting to open up everywhere. We're strictly, this podcast is talking about Minnesota Midwest birds. South Dakota, Nebraska, you can incorporate that a little bit. But the further south we get of 94, a little bit warmer, a little bit warmer, a little bit warmer. Days are getting longer. You know, daylight activity, the, that sense is in their, their brain of what's going on. But you said fly down cackle. You're painting a picture. So a hen <clears throat> will wake up. She'll ruffle her whole feathers a little bit. She'll get kind of on that. And she, she may not talk at all because them gobblers are firing. Every crow that flies by or says something, boom. Every owl, boom. And when they're hot. Yep. Right? <clears throat> and if the wind hasn't got them from roost tree, if they didn't tree jump. Them hens are just doing their thing. I'm going to pitch down right here. I'm going to glide down to it. And then... So what she does is when she stands up on a limb, she ruffles her feathers. She fills up with air. She's getting ready to take off, and it sounds almost like a cut. But what she does is she lets out a, and I can put a diaphragm in and tell you and show you a little bit of it. But what she'll do is she'll cut real fast, and that's the fly down cackle. And you'll hear her wings, you know, as she stretches them out and flies down to glide. There's three or four wind beats. As she's flapping down to slow down and then she gets to the ground. She hits the ground. She might let out one or two more clucks. Then the progression starts. What you're doing on a flight on cankle is you're painting that picture that there is a hen or a group of hens 
off of the main roost, them birds may or may not know, and boom, they're the first ones to hit the ground, and then you're quiet, right? Correct. Yep. So you painted that picture. Then as things progress, you may do a locator call with your diaphragm or your your picking your pot just to not like every five minutes but you might just do one all right them gobblers are still there yep i'm here come and get me the gobblers are over there right so yep. you're just doing that once they hit the ground then you can start getting them fired up yeah but don't overdo it right um if you were to say like what's your four cadence your sequence what's your four what are calls and what is a, a female turkey making and what are you doing so you know like we say a yelp yep what's a yelp in your mind okay so like in how to use yeah yelp what what or? she what is the turkey doing what is she doing why do you do a yelp okay well i personally when they're yelping I usually think that they're, I mean, they want attention, mm -hmm. personally. Um, you know, when they're clucking, they, I've heard a lot of cluck fights and aggressive mm -hmm. purrs. Um, also, they might just be doing their thing, right. you know, and yelping <clears throat> too. So yep. every so, bird's different. Yeah, and where we're going with this is like a, a Yelp sequence. A hen has to be f pretty feeling her oats. Um, she's either saying, hey, I'm over here, or hey, I'm over here, maybe don't come as close, but uh, this is where I'm at and this is who I am. My name is Henrietta, and I am standing here right now picking up bugs and nuts, and, and good morning to all of you. Yep. So a five to seven note yelp, right? Yep. Just, she's like, hey, this is me. Just, you know, exploring her presence or making her presence known. Right. Real simple variants of this. I know your calls are in the truck, but I'll try to do this. So if I, if I would just sit in there and everything's calm, here's a, a generalization of it. Not super aggressive, just here I am, that's what I'm doing. Okay. Now, the fly-down cackle that we talked about earlier, that's something that you're going to want to master before you do it. It can respond. You can get an instant gobble because you're, it's a shot gobble, more or less. <clears throat> but if you were going to do that, this would be a sequence of, and I'm not an NW2F stage caller. I'm not saying that I am. I'm just telling you that we got it figured out, and it's worked for us. Right. But I usually take my hat. Getting set up here. Hang on now. So I'll be kind of quiet. I have my hand in my, or my hat in my right hand, and I'll go. Done. Basic short note yelps. You can get a lot longer yelps. You can, I mean, you can do anything you want with your calls. You can do this on a pick and a pot. Box call is a little bit tougher to control your your uh, cadence of that or your variation. Box call, the only reason I use a box call is if it's super windy. You can reach out miles and get them. Right. That's an over-exaggeration, but you can. They can hear it a long ways. Yeah. 
uh, just like a crystal pot call, you know, glass, it creates a higher frequency pitch that they can hear longer away, cut through the wind more or less. Um, so now your hens are on the ground, they're doing their thing, and you want to call that gobbler into you. <clears throat> we didn't talk about a cut, but you can cut. A cut is an excited yelp, usually, yeah. and it's a, an aggressive cut. Means, get away from me, you're too close. I'm the boss hen, leave me alone. Um, there's a location yelp or cut, you know, they're just getting excited, but usually it's a aggressive, an aggression signifying call, I guess you could say. Um, and then you have your purr. So there's a fighting purr. You hear a lot of jakes. Like, let's say you bust a gobbler and he's laying down your decoys and the other strutters come over and whipping on him or jakes are beating on your decoy or a tom. They'll have a fighting purr. They're always in that, you know, just rolling your R's, kind of using your tongue. Or if you're on a, a pick in a pot, you have that little aggressive striker that's going there. You, a fighting purr. You can have a feeding purr. Very, very quiet, very high-pitched, but you can get to it. Usually, that's followed up by a yelp. Right. Yep. Um, I don't... I, I may use a purr in the sequence of calming the situation if a gobbler kind of gets hung up or if he comes right up to a, a ridge and he can oh there's the decoys i always have that feeding hen feeding right. hen is either quiet or she just softly purring mm -hmm. just just little bits at a time and she can do that another but, yeah go ahead and i was gonna say another thing with calling too like you know like last year especially i got beat more than once and you know, the season went on, season went on, and I had a good encounter um, a couple weeks before I ended up killing my bird on Mother's Day morning where I was able to communicate. And if you can really get a hen talking, I know mm -hmm. you said it's hard, yep. but I've never seen anything like this, and it just it didn't happen the way I wanted to. But I had that boss hen going crazy, and... She came just hauling through the timber right into the decoys, and you know who was behind her. Mm -hmm. And I was playing cat and mouse with that tom forever and, you know, wasn't doing anything. And finally I was like, you know what? If he's obviously hend up, then I'm going to talk to her. Yep. And <clears throat> that, you know, just came down. I didn't make the shot I wanted to make, but that, that's crazy. You, you know, mm -hmm. everybody thinks talk to the tom, talk to the tom. Mm-mm. No. Yep. Um, so, and a big thing is, well, they say, well, how do I call a hen in? Everything she does, do it louder. Yep. Same sequence. Yep. If she does a cut, she's pissed at you, cut back to her, you know. And here's, here's a cut. So, let's say a hen, this is, the first stage is a hen. I hear that especially if I can't see her, I'm right back in her face. Piss her off. Have her come and check the decoys. Like you say, if that hen comes, that's a live decoy. Yep. Usually may not be your target bird that you're after, but usually there's something behind her. Yep. Even if it's more hens. Right. You call three or four hens into your gaggle. 
Now not only you have your three decoys, you have John's seven decoys, and you have three more or five more hens with it. Right. There's your gaggle. Exactly. Toms will come. Yep. They'll get them to it. And that's, you know, even if that hen doesn't come all the way into your decoys too, a lot of times if there is a tom behind her, he's going to suck right in because mm. he she's getting way too close to, you know, if you got a male decoy right. or whatever. Let's talk about shot placement real quick in practice. Um, <clears throat> we're fortunate enough we got a turkey target over here on the range so we've been plastering that on a full-grown tom you have a little bit less than a softball for vitals lungs heart liver that's all you have right you can take out the wing you can take out the legs you can do that i'm going to take this from joel maxfield who's shot everything there is to shoot he does really good especially right now his knees boogered up so he's at home online doing a bunch of stuff, Instagram, social media. We're going to tie his little diagram. Hoyt has a video out as well where you can see shot, plate, shot placement for a archer. If they're facing you, right above the beard. If they're facing away from you, full strut, go right up the butthole. Yep. If they're facing away from you but not in strut, just a standard turkey, take out their backbone, Right. Always aim for the vitals where you think your arrow is going to exit. That's what you need to look at. It's super, super small. Did he just take your monster drink? Yeah. What the hell? Dano's in the shop, but he, he just missed the podcast a little, just a little bit. He's busy this morning. I <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. But practice, if you don't know where it is, just make sure. If you Let's say, okay, I don't, I'm not going to get just a, a Reinhardt 3D target for turkey hunting. I'm going to shoot a piece of paper, and it is. Just make sure that you can hit the, that white 5 ring or the yellow 10 ring on a Vegas target. Like, do you have to be more accurate than you are deer hunting? I hate to say this, but yeah. yeah you like you have a smaller area to shoot. Usually they're closer. And then study the anatomy of a turkey. Right. And shoot a big broadhead. Say so if you, you know, like deer, you know, you want to aim small, miss small. Same with mm. birds. And if yep. you're going to miss what you're <clears> aiming <throat> at, you, and, you know, you can agree or disagree, Wade, but if you hit low, you got a yep. chance. You hit yep. high, you're never going to no. see that bird again. It's all feathers. Yep. Yep. Study the anatomy or come in and ask or ask any other shops. And they'll they'll show you. We'll go over to a, we don't actually have a turkey mount in this shop, but we have decoys and we have the target we can show you. Pull it up on the internet. We show you on your phone. You can take a snapshot of it and, f and save it. Study it. Yep. You'll soon have it burned into your skull where you need to aim. Uh, every every situation's a little bit different, you know, but it's the same same vitals. If they're on strut, it can be extremely tough, but it's also super easy. <laughs> Shot placement is huge. Um, we didn't talk about decap broadheads and shooting at the neck and the head. We, you and I, don't do it. Um, we do sell decap broadheads. We've seen some guys. The guys in St. Cloud are notorious for it. They're very, very good. Jake does it. I set up, I had a bad experience with one yesterday, and it wasn't the broadhead. But here's the thing is I had to turn my bow down to 50 pounds. I have to shoot a 250 spine arrow with feathers. I have to slow everything down so that the broadhead flies right. It's a decap. It's, you're strictly aiming for the head. I got it to work, but then again, my arrow's not going very fast. 
a lot of things can happen when you pull the trigger or the hinge goes off from the time that arrow hits to where it's going. Bird can move. I choose not to do it. One of my best friends in the world, that's all he does, swears by it. But in his quiver, there's also another arrow with a regular broadhead like we shoot if they are over 25 yards or over 20 yards. If you're going to be a decap shooter, have another arrow with a regular broadhead. Uh, Dan and Keith went out two years ago on a farm that pretty much like they've buttered the bread for you. Put the meat on, right? This bird come in, hung up at 30 yards. Both of them had decaps on. Both of them have not shot it at over 30 yards. And I'm not picking on them. It's just the way it worked out. And I told Keith, I'm like, Keith, if there's going to be two of you, at least one of you have a regular broadhead because both of you can hit an apple at 30 yards. I know it. I see it every day. Right. They didn't. Bird walked away. They didn't try to make a bad shot. They just knew that what their limits were. Right. So if you are going to be a decap shooter, have another broadhead. And practice. Practice, 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 practice. Practice shooting sitting down. Practice shooting kneeling. You're going to get at some oddball situations. If you have a bow, um, invest in some limb legs or a kickstand so you keep that bow readily available, cam out of the wet snow or the grass or the mud or whatever it may be. Um, there's some deals you can screw into, like the stabilizer that, that hold it there. You got to know about blind positioning. You got to know about where you have your bow, where your stuff's laid out, especially if there's two of you in a blind. It gets tight real quick. If you're a right-handed shooter, shoot on the left, so you have right-handed movement. If you're, you know, if you're single, shoot in the middle, so you have that entire view. Little things like that. Yep. But what we wanted to do on this podcast is give you just a little flav of what we do, why we do it. We're not here. We're not here to like push you one way or the other, but we're here to guide you. We've done everything pertaining to turkey hunting that you could possibly do. Um. We both shot birds out west, we both shot birds down south, and we both shot birds out east. And again, we're not just the only turkey hunters. Like, everybody has had some success. So whatever shop you go to, if you do get online and you want to ask questions, Jason, everybody can can hook you up in the right idea. Turkeys are so dumb that they're smart. You have to try to outsmart them. You're fooling a bird. It's not a food plot that we're calling them into. You know, it's not like a feeding destination. It's not, it's kind of like the rut. So anything can happen at one time, but they're, it's just a different animal. And that's why it, it makes it so incredibly fun. Right. Um, and then I, we'll close out with this. Any turkey, legal turkey with a bow is a trophy. Yep, Absolutely. If you come in and say that you shot a bird with a 14-inch rope and a two-and-a-half-inch hook, I'm going to laugh at you because <laughs> I do not care. You could come in and tell me you shot a Jake with no hooks. If you shot him with your bow, I'm going to shake your hand and say, hell of a job. Yep. If you, if you shoot a bearded hen, which is legal, shake your hand and say, hell of a job. You just successfully hit a tennis ball size target with an arrow and killed them. And you're a successful turkey hunter with a bow. Yep. And don't get me wrong. Gun hunting is fun too. Come podcast at the end of May, I may or may not have shot a bird with a gun. <laughs> <I'm> just, <it's, laughs> it is what it is. Uh, they can flat whip you. 
but it can be the most enjoyable mornings and afternoons. We didn't even talk about mornings and afternoons. Any time of day is good. Yeah. Um, you, you know, you can right in the morning is probably the most uh, cherished. Calling them off the roost, doing your thing. Afternoon hunts can be dynamite, especially if you get into the end of April into May. Like that might be the only time that you're going to get a gobbler separated. Mm-hmm. Why not? Yep. There's no laws that says he can't have more than one girlfriend. Right. Yeah, you get that one to two o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. On behalf of everybody at Archery Country, we appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. If you want any more content or anything, log in, subscribe, like, uh, drop us a comment, leave us a awesome review. It only grows us that we can help you. Thank you again, Jack. I appreciate it. Uh, everybody else, we'll Thank see you on down the road. Thank you for listening to Archery Country Podcast.